Hey, good morning. If you've got your Bible ready, as always, I hope you do. Let's go ahead and open it to Acts chapter 8. We're going to go ahead and pick up uh, in our study of this awesome, practical, meaningful uh, book, not just uh, in terms of learning what it was like for them in the first century, but we learn so much uh, that can help us understand how we should live out our faith in the power of the Holy Spirit, even in our day as well. And so um, that being said, we're going to go ahead and pick it up in verse um, 26, looking at Philip. Now, Philip was one of those, like Stephen, who was one of the six who were chosen among the Hellenistic Jews in Jerusalem. As the church began to grow, uh, a particular segment of the growing church, the Hellenistic Jewish widows, were being neglected, as it said uh, in, in, the, uh, in Acts chapter 6. Uh, They're being neglected in the daily distribution. And so Philip uh, was one of those who was filled with the Holy Spirit uh, and wisdom. Uh, he was a man of good reputation and such, and he was chosen to be among those who would help serve and meet those needs. Well, after some time, God began to use him in different ways. Um, you know, there is, uh, there is a passage that tells us to not despise the days of small things. Uh, Warren Wiersbe used to say that, um, you know, you never know when, as you're serving in one capacity, that you might not be being sized up for another. Now, I'm very careful not to say better or bigger or more important ministry or something, because anything we're doing with uh, in serving the Lord is meaningful and important. And if he's called us to it, then that is what he sees as the meaningful ministry for us to do. And so, um, you know, when, when Philip is, is serving and waiting uh, on, on these folks and helping them provide them with their needs, there comes a point when all of a sudden God moves Philip <clears throat> after the persecution that starts under, <clears throat> under Saul, uh, Philip goes to Samaria and he begins to be used by the Holy Spirit there. And as we saw last time we were in Acts, um, uh, Peter and John came down when they had heard that the gospel had come to Samaria there under Philip. Um, and uh, they came and, and, uh, and, and laid hands on folks and prayed for people. They dealt with this person, uh, Simon uh, the magician, who uh, wanted to buy the power of God with money and that kind of thing. And Peter rebuked him in that. But uh, during that period of time, uh, or that's where we, I should say, that's the period of time we find ourselves as we open up today to Acts chapter 8 in verse uh, 26, where it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So Philip, uh, who was an evangelist now in Samaria, is now called of the Lord to go ultimately down um, toward this area between, uh, uh, or to take a road from Jerusalem down uh, toward Gaza. Um, it says here to take this road on the south. Some manuscripts say go at about noon. So whatever the more accurate reading is there, there's a, there's a call of the Lord on Philip to go. Now, Philip doesn't know what he's going to encounter when he goes there at this point. All he knows is that an angel of the Lord has come to tell him to go. And so he does. Simple obedience. Um, you know, there, there are times when uh, we understand that there is something that the Lord would have us do. We don't always understand why, uh, but we do. We go because that's just simply the way it should work. When the Lord puts something in our hearts that we should do, we should go do that. When we see something in the scripture that, that addresses the situation we're in, we should obey it. 
Uh, it's just uh, should be that simple. Um, but Philip does that. He sets a good example, a good precedent in that way. And he also, you know, we call him Philip the Evangelist because of the fact that he's now being used uh, to, to bring the gospel to different places. Uh, first in Samaria, now he goes and he meets up with this Ethiopian uh, eunuch, this servant of Candace, who's the queen of the Ethiopians at that time. Um, now, again, he didn't know who he was going to meet, but when he uh, ultimately will see here, the Holy Spirit drives him to go and, uh, and, and take on this chariot. But first, let's talk about the Ethiopian servant of Candace. Uh, he is apparently a Jewish proselyte. He's somebody who went to Jerusalem to worship, and uh, he's on his way back. And so Candace apparently had given him the freedom to go and worship during this time. And so now as he makes his way home, he is um, uh, a man of prominence and all that kind of thing. And as he's on his way home, Philip meets him. And uh, we'll pick it up there in verse uh, 28 or verse 29. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. And so Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? Boy, could there have been a better setup, right? And we look at the passage, we'll see that he was reading, and it becomes this wonderful springboard for Philip to share the gospel. But, you know, God just oftentimes will lay out a situation that is just right for the call that he's given us to get involved in it. Um, you know, sometimes when we, sh in terms of specifically sharing our faith, those opportunities, um, sometimes we, um, you know, we, we, we try to find some inroads, some way to share and maybe find some common ground to build on or something like that. Other times it's just like the fruit is just ready to fall off the tree. It's just, you know, God has brought somebody to just the right moment and the circumstances around it are optimal for that person now to hear the gospel and to respond. That was one of these times with Philip, but it, it also kind of was contingent upon Philip being obedient to the Lord and simply going. Uh, Philip may have thought, well, man, I would prefer to stay here in Samaria where things are happening. He might have thought, why would I ever want to leave Jerusalem? Um, but, you know, in the path that God called him, he ultimately finds himself in this moment. And so Philip again, uh, verse uh, uh, 30, Philip ran up to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied to him. Who can describe this gener his generation? For this life, uh, his life, I should say, was taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about somebody else? Boy, talk about just a beautiful pitch right down the middle, right? Well, sometimes God works things out where that's where we end up, and those are beautiful times for us to share the gospel. And notice, it just simply says here that as he asks him this question, um, Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Nothing clever, nothing, you know, Just he just told him the gospel. And he started with that passage. Now, chances are, there are most passages in scripture can be easily brought around to help us understand uh, or give us opportunity to share the gospel. Jesus himself in John 5 uh, said that the scriptures speak of him, speaking to the Pharisees, the Old Testament scriptures as, uh, as this passage is. Um, we can find ways through virtually any passage of scripture to bring it around ultimately to the gospel. And this was the important thing, and Philip does this. He simply brings the gospel now 
to this person. The idea of how Jesus, and of course this passage, uh, is a wonderful example of how uh, the sacrificial nature of what Jesus did. His life was taken for him. And this, this is spoken not about Isaiah, of course, but about the sacrifice of Christ. And so Philip uses that as the springboard to share the gospel. And so as he's sharing the gospel, as he tells him about the good news of Jesus in verse 36, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? Now, immediately after this man comes to Christ, he comes to faith, puts his trust in Jesus, he desires to be baptized and rightly so. It, I, baptism uh, becomes this public uh, expression of your commitment to Christ. It's, uh, you know, there's not a huge crowd around. He probably had an entourage of some kind, um, but you know, he, uh, in, in that setting, that was his public display. They would ultimately stop and he would baptize him. But the idea of baptism is, is something that both Jesus said believers are supposed to do. This was, uh, you know, if you, if you're, if you, uh, you know, maybe think of terms like sacrament and that kind of thing, there's really two that Jesus gives us personally. One is baptism and the other one is the Lord's Supper. But you'll recall how when Jesus shared with his disciples his call to them to go and, 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 and get involved in what would be called the Great Commission. Uh, they were to um, ultimately, uh, matter of fact, let's turn to it and read it just for those who um, you know, maybe are not familiar with this. Sometimes I'm guilty of making assumptions of who's familiar with what or who's comfortable with or who knows what and all this kind of a thing. But let's go ahead and read it. And this is actually the end of Matthew's gospel in chapter 28 uh, in verse 19 and 20. And this is what Jesus says to his disciples uh, as he uh, um, gives them the authority uh, to go and, uh, and make disciples of all the nations. Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you and behold, I'm with you always. Uh, to the end of the age. And so the Great Commission, the idea of going and making disciples. Uh, notice it doesn't say go and make converts. Not that conversion isn't part of what it means to be a disciple, but it, it's, it's, the call is not to just simply get people saved and consider it done. The idea is to create, build disciples. Those who become followers of Jesus, fully given over to him, uh, again, I'll borrow from our kind of our church's mission statement, the idea of equipping people for a lifetime of knowing, loving, and following Jesus, this pervasive sort of sense of what it means to be given over to him, to grow with him, to walk with him, follow him, loving him, such. And so that's the Great Commission. Go, therefore, without getting off on staying on this passage for the rest of our time, it is worth sharing a few things here in regard to this. Um, go not go bring people to church, but go and make disciples. Not that there's anything wrong with bringing people to church, but the idea of the Christian, the call of the Christian is to go and to go and make disciples, to go and help people not only come to faith, but to grow in their faith. Uh, and part of that is the idea of baptism, which becomes sort of a, um, uh, I was gonna say starting point. Some people aren't baptized immediately, but the idea of baptism is one where you are publicly declaring that you are now Jesus' disciple. You're leaving behind the old world, your old life and everything, and you're following Jesus. As a matter of fact, the picture in baptism is exactly that. The idea that um, when we put someone down in the water, it symbolizes putting to death the old man 
and when we bring them up out of the water, it is symbolic of that rising to new life. There is a change, a fundamental change of direction, a change of worldview and mindset, a change of the person themselves. They are no longer following after the, uh, the flesh and the world and all of this, but rather now they're following after Jesus. And baptism becomes an outward expression of that inward change that has happened um, uh, in that regard. And so, um, but again, it says there, make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So the idea of teaching and helping people to grow in their faith, explaining the scriptures and helping bringing understanding to them so that they can be nourished by the, 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 the word and they can ultimately grow healthy and strong and then eventually go out and make disciples themselves. Uh, this becomes sort of the, uh, the idea, the idea that healthy sheep will beget healthy sheep. And so there is, um, this is all part and parcel with the Great Commission. So we see a lot of this present in what happens with Philip. He goes, and as the Holy Spirit leads, he finds himself face to face with somebody who is uh, ripe and ready, receives the gospel, and he baptizes him. He's also explained the scripture to him a little bit. In this particular instance, as we'll see, that Philip is called away immediately at that point. He doesn't have time to personally invest in him beyond the point of baptism at this point. Um, but, um, but he has already spent time teaching him from the word and helping him to understand the gospel. And so some of these elements of the Great Commission are clearly present right here as well. So let's go ahead and jump back into Acts chapter 8. And when they came out, uh, I should say, uh, verse uh, 38, uh, or let's go back to verse uh, 36. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. By the way, I guess we didn't talk about the whole idea of eunuch. Um, eunuch means that a person was cut off. And generally speaking, that was something that um, uh, was done to servants in high places so that they wouldn't be distracted. They wouldn't be, um, you know, they wouldn't feel the temptations and be able to fulfill those temptations and thus maybe not fulfill their responsibility. Um, there was lots of reasons why a person would be um, cut off, uh, made a eunuch for that kind of thing. There's also, um, you know, the Bible talks about those who are physically so, those who are spiritually so, and that kind of thing. But um, this particular Ethiopian was a servant of the queen, held a high position. Uh, he could not be seduced into, um, you know, maybe being um, irresponsible in his responsibilities because he was incapable at this point, uh, and that kind of thing. That's the basic idea around that idea of being a eunuch. Uh, in service that way. but um, So we see that word. I just realized I hadn't really explained that. It's kind of an odd thing to talk about, I guess, but it's a real thing. So, okay. And he commanded the chariot to stop. What Or what prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went uh, on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, or Ashdod, as it's variously called uh, in the Old Testament. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. And so kind of a dramatic um, uh, experience here. They stop the chariot, they go down, and Philip baptizes uh, the Ethiopian, and they come out of the water, and, and, and Philip is suddenly swept away this uh, sort of teleporting from this area here uh, in this body of water. Uh, and ultimately he ends up going over to Azotus, which is not super far away, but he is just swept away by the Spirit and brought to another place. 
uh, kind of amazing, really. Just all of a sudden, the Ethiopian didn't see him anymore, and he was gone. And the Ethiopian went on rejoicing, and and uh, and, uh, and and just you know the joy of the Lord in him being now a child of God. But Philip, uh, his job's not done. God has more for him to do. We don't read much more about Philip again in the in, in the Book of Acts. We come across uh, his mention of him and his daughters who are prophetesses, but um, you know. Philip is just one of those people that not a lot is written about, but nonetheless, what we see of him is is a as a guy who served the Lord fully, and was available to him, and who the who the Lord really used certainly greatly in this man's life, uh, and even there in Samaria, of course, and then even earlier in Jerusalem, man of good reputation, used of the Lord. Let me just share just for a second before we bring this to a close. Um, just coming back to something we've said before, let me just kind of bring an encouragement uh, back around on this. Um, our introduction to Philip was that he was a man of good reputation, uh, a man filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Um, this is something that could be, and you know, I would even say should be, descriptive of us as believers. People who um, guard our reputations, we walk in a way that that, that uh, reputation is maintained. We walk in integrity. We, uh, we, we walk in faith. We, you know, we don't live a contradictory lifestyle with what we say and what we actually do living out. But we have integrity. We have good reputation among those who know us. They see us as when, when someone asks about us, good thoughts come to mind. This is somebody who's consistent, has integrity. Somebody who's a man of good reputation or a woman of good reputation. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, something all believers uh, should seek. Of course, the Holy Spirit dwells within us as believers. If he doesn't, you're not a believer. And so all believers are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Um, but the idea there is, is more than just the fact that he's saved, but he's someone who is moved by the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, somebody who submits to the Holy Spirit uh, and is used by the Holy Spirit, somebody who is filled with the Holy Spirit. And of course, that can find expression in lots of ways. But basically, it's someone who is really sold out for the Lord, somebody who's filled, again, with the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, full of wisdom. You know, not all of us are the sharpest tools in the shed. I can certainly say that about myself. But wisdom is different. Uh, you know, wisdom is the proper application of knowledge. Uh, you don't have to know a lot of things to walk in wisdom. You don't have to be the smartest kid in the class, an A student, uh, you know, a PhD in things, to walk in wisdom. As a matter of fact, the two, while not mutually exclusive, really are two different things. Um, you can have somebody who's very, very brilliant, but doesn't necessarily have a lot of wisdom. They lack wisdom. But you can have somebody who's very simple in their thinking, maybe not, again, uh, um, maybe the best student or that kind of a thing. But yet, nonetheless, they they have a good sense of the things that are worthy of doing, the things that are uh, that ought not be done. They make decisions based on uh, good, sound reasoning, and that kind of thing. Um, this is something that all believers uh, can, you know, can adopt into our own lives, uh, and God uses that. And that's really where I'm going with this: is that as we sort of cultivate Christian character, as we walk in the Spirit, as we, um, you know, as we live out our Christian lives consistently, God often will use simple people like you and I to do things that are more far-reaching than we probably would have ever thought. Uh, but God is looking for such as these to use. And Philip is just such a shining example of this. Again, we don't see lots about Philip, more so than lots of other people that just sort of been passing in the scripture. But by and large, you know, when you think of great people in the Bible, Philip isn't one of the first people to come to mind. 
probably even less so than Stephen, right? But we look at his story, man, that's kind of an A-plus kind of a guy right there. And so I think there's a lot to be learned from that. And so my hope is that as we you know, make our way through the book of Acts, as we come across passages like this, we realize that um, or we're gleaning and learning things that are ultimately helping us in our own walk with the Lord. So I'm going to stop there. Next time we get into the book of Acts, we're going to come upon Saul and his conversion. This uh, is an enormous moment in church history uh, when the Apostle Paul ultimately comes to Christ. So we'll look at that uh, next time. And uh, if you have any questions or comments or anything, we invite you to go ahead and do uh, leave them on our YouTube channel. You can do this uh, uh, also on my personal website at parsonspad.com. Um, if you'd like to email me, you can do that from that same website, or uh, you can go to our church's website at calvarychapelfranklin.com. And uh, of course, if you're anywhere in or around Franklin, Tennessee, and you want to come pay us a visit on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights, we'd love to have you come out and, uh, and grow alongside of us. So thanks for watching, and we'll catch up with you next time. Father, thank you, <clears throat> Lord, for the examples of so many that we see in Scripture, people like Philip, who uh, are just um, people who are, you know, in some ways, just uh, just, well, really, in all ways, just a solid believer. Um, he's not a superstar. He's not a super apostle or something like that. But he's just a, an ordinary person who is filled with the Spirit, walks in integrity uh, and wisdom, and you used him in profound ways. We would ask that, Lord, you'd use us in profound ways as well. Uh, help us not to shy away from the opportunity to be used because we think we're not, um, you know, we're not a big enough deal or something like that. Father, it's uh, so much more. Uh, obviously, it's it's all about uh, you being used, you being glorified as you use us, you ultimately taking hold of our lives and, and using us in ways that bring you glory. So, Father, we just want to avail ourselves to you and just take us for what we are and what we have. Just let it be an offering to you and just use us as you will. Father, we thank you, we praise you, we bless you. Be with us as we continue to study your word together as well. In Jesus' name, amen.